0: Why don't you uh, join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this time to gather together today. Thank you for all the work that people have done to put the compilation together to allow us to see the the good fruit and the good works that you have done here. And Lord, I'm asking you now that we would be able to to hear, we'd be able to see, we'd be able to receive uh, what you are saying to the church and saying to us as a part and as a part of the body of the church. Uh, We welcome your word to us today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is the eighth anniversary, and anniversary is a time for reflecting. It's a time to reminisce, a time to celebrate. It's a time to remember things, but it's also a time to speak into the future. Where are we going to go from here? It's kind of a, you celebrate it to, to bounce you into the future. But this is the eighth anniversary. The number eight has a lot of spiritual meaning. It's in the scripture, Quite often in a lot of different areas, it's recognized there. And numerology was very important in, in scriptural time. They understood. Uh, you and I, if I were to say K, you may not be able to call right off what number that is in the alphabet, let alone they could give you the number of what it represented for and see the math and how the math would work together. And the number eight was very, very, very important uh, to the people of God and very important to God. Matter of fact, the number one thing that it has the heaviest emphasis on is a new beginning. New beginning, a new start, a fresh start, a new beginning, and so a new season in your life. And I want to speak into that for just a moment. I just want to speak that over you in the tongue. There's power in the tongue, and there's power of life or of death. And I want to speak life over you. I want to speak uh, into the the well-being of the well and the beings of the well that you can be stepping into with us as a church, but individually in your life. You can be stepping into this new season and this new beginning, a fresh start in our life. Something new is about to happen. It also represents new order, that there's new structure and order in your life matter of fact, the eighth day was the day of circumcision. All the way back from Genesis, it was the eighth day that was a day of circumcision. And even if it were to fall on a Sabbath day, if it had fallen on that holy day where they could do nothing, that was the one and only thing that really had rule. The president said, no, you still need to do it on that day to perform uh, that, that uh, rite and to perform that, that procedure for them. Uh, resurrection day. matter of fact, resurrection day is actually an eighth day. It's an eighth day. Sunday was not the Sabbath. Uh, Sunday started becoming the Sabbath day and the Lord's day, the day Jesus Christ was raised from dead. Remember, he died on a Friday. He's dead. He's buried. Saturday, he's not here. He rises, he's raised up on a Sunday morning. And Sunday, why would that be an eighth day? Because in seven days, seventh day was Saturday, every first day of the week is an eight day numerically to the week that is going on. So resurrection Sunday and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was what? A new beginning. He was the first fruit of those raised from the dead. And so he initiated that. And I mean, I want you to see how powerful a new beginning can be in your life, a new order in your life. Circumcision for you and I is not just a male situation anymore, it's circumcision of our heart. And when you and I wake up and it's like an eighth day, it's like we're getting recircumcised. We're getting the flesh out of there. We can become spiritual again. We can have an awakening and a renewal in our life and get new order and get back in order. Hey, how about when God flooded the earth? I'm not even going to tell you all of them, but when God flooded the earth uh, then, and he destroyed everything, how many people did he save? Come on, somebody. Eight. Saved eight people, right? Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives. So there was eight people. Why? Because God was starting a new order. God was restructuring what had gone wild and gone crazy and putting everything back in order. God used the number eight to signify to all around them and to remember and to be able to calculate that God is starting something fresh and something new. Uh, Between his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus dies, he's resurrected from the dead, and it's 40 days until he ascends back and he goes to heaven to be with God. He appeared eight different times. There's a recording of eight different appearances. We're going to take care of one of those this morning. And it's not as much the order there as how many. Why? It was a whole new season, a whole new order that they did not have him with them, that they were going to have revelation. They were going to have an awakening. They're going to be able to see him and experience him. It was setting something new. So I'm declaring over you today. I don't know exactly where you're sitting or what's going on in your life or what's happening in life. Listen to me. Even good things sometimes need a new thing inside of them. Amen. How many of y'all have ever seen a good invention or a good uh, 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 a creation of some sort, something good, and it just got old after a while. It just didn't seem to work anymore. It didn't fit culturally anymore. It didn't fit. It wasn't uh, relevant anymore. When you and I, we need an awakening. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Amen. Behold, all things become new. Now, here's the key: for you to have this, you must be in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things are past. And we say it again: and all things become new, amen? So for you and I to be positioned correctly for something new to happen in our life, it's not just being in a church that believes in God can do new things, but it's being in our lives. I go back to the word of the Lord this morning. He said, this is my house. You are my people. He said, when your house becomes my house, when your time becomes my time, it is so important that we make sure that we live this stuff out and that we move into a Christian walk and we move in and not just have it in church, but our house becomes the church, amen? That we live in such, a man. So eight is a unique thing about eight also not just a a new season or a new order a new beginning You can have that and speaking that into your life You have to be in Christ you need to respond and submit your life to Christ But eight is also what leads into nine Leads into nine nine is a very important number in christianity and in the history of god also And you'll find throughout the scriptures that nine is very prevalent there also nine represents the harvest Nine represents complete. Nine represents maturity and wisdom. Matter of fact, I was seeking the Lord and preparing uh, for this week and getting ready to teach you on the doctrine of baptisms. Why? Because we're going through Hebrews chapter 6, that we want to get mature. We want God to permit us to go on further. We don't want to stop at 8. We want to go into 9. You know what I'm talking about? We want to grow and mature in the Lord there. Uh, but looking into that, I just did not feel an auction to preach that this morning. I was wrestling with it. Matter of fact, I was overloaded every time I would go to study it and every return to the study of it. I was getting more and more information. I thought, my goodness, this is going to go on forever. And it just did not feel the unction is what it was. And then I was reminded That this is our eighth anniversary and God wants to inspire us and wants us to have a celebratory time together to get equipped and get prepared for what he wants us to go into. So nine is a complete, it's a fullness. So eight comes into completion, comes into fullness, it's wisdom and maturity. There's nine fruits of the spirit and there are nine gifts of the spirit. God wants us to become, listen, he doesn't just want you to be a loving person who's who's impatient. He doesn't just want you to be a joyful person uh, that has no self-restraint and no self-temperance and no self-control, right? Because you might start finding something else to bring your joy in the midst of it out of your flesh. He wants us to become mature in the fruit of the Spirit. Matter of fact, it's not nine fruits as much as this. It's nine descriptions as a fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. I say this quite often. And listen, don't get shocked when you look into the news and you look into some Christian news and you find some some big leaders around the country and around the world are stumbling or falling or falling off their perches, if you would. It's a very sad thing to see. Uh, We will not throw any stones at anybody whatsoever, but this is what I say quite often. Don't judge the fruit, especially don't judge the generation of children. Look at the root because the fruit is a direct result of the root, amen? Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Amen? And so we need to realize that he wants us to get mature. He doesn't just want us to be partial Christians. He wants us to be complete Christians. He wants us to be full. He wants us to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, temperance, and faith, meekness in our life. Amen? He wants us to take on that maturity inside of our life. Matter of fact, Jesus said that we should be fruitful. He said, anything that is not fruitful, he'll cut it off. He'll wind it up with twine twine and throw it into the fire. That's what he said. I know that's not exciting, but that ought to maybe be the alarm clock to wake something up and go, hey, wait a minute. Wait just a second. I can no longer just be accepted because of what I do in the church or what I do as a, as a church member, as a Christian there. It's a fullness that God wants. He wants me to be fruitful. I want you to say that to yourself. God wants me to be fruitful. Matter of fact, he's coming back looking for a harvest, okay? He's looking for that. How about the nine gifts of the Spirit? We need to have all the gifts operating. And I don't have time to go into break this one down that much. But listen, the church has gotten really good at one of them. At least the charismatic church has. And that's tongue talking to themselves. Okay? That's the only one you can imitate. You can't imitate a miracle. You can't imitate. You can't make up a healing. You can't do any of that stuff. And I'll tell you what. A scared of living daylights out of you. Get a, don't think about that. You're the scared of living daylights out of you when the living God and all-consuming fire starts to say, start speaking in tongues in front of the church. Yeah, that's right. yeah. And then interpret it. And then have a word for it. That puts the fear of God in us. Listen, it does not put the identification of what kind of church we are or aren't. It puts the fear of God in us. God says, listen, if you cut one out, you're cutting him off. Matter of fact, with the Ten Commandments, he literally said, if you're guilty of one of them, you're guilty of them all. We don't want to come short of God. We want all the fruit and all the gift of the Spirit, amen, because we want to be mature. Matter of fact, those nine fruit and nine gifts, the, the, the fruit deal with the internal side. Uh, and what's inside of us and the gifts operate with the external what comes out of us if we don't really have the nine fruit We will never have the nine gifts Amen, but I believe that you can function and operate in those gifts And I don't think you have to stand in this podium to be anointed to be gifted to be called to be chosen to be used By God and to be meet and ready for his purpose. You are here to get equipped You are here to get equipped for the work of the ministry. Amen? So enough reflecting or remembering. I want you to say something with me. We have forgotten to do it the last few times, and nobody shouted me down and asked me to. Get your Bible in your hand. You got it? You got a Bible with you? It'll be on the screens if you don't have one, but you can hold your hand up. You can hold your phone up. You can put your hand over your heart, because I'm sure the Word of God is hidden somewhere in there. Say this with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be who it says I can be. Matter of fact, I said, a matter of fact, I'm going to be, that and some. It was written for me, for my correction, my direction, and my soon-coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me, according to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 14, pick it up in verse 10. We're going back and connecting to the stick, if you would, and we're going to move forward to what God has for us. And when Pharaoh drew near, now, Pharaoh would be a Satan type, if you would. I don't know about you, but the enemy's always trying to get up on my tail. He's always trying to remind me of my past. He's always trying to slow me down. He's always trying to go with me where I don't want him to go. I don't know if any of y'all have that problem, but the devil is a troublemaker. The devil, it gets up in your business, and he tries to go, Pharaoh ain't going with me. Somebody say that. Pharaoh ain't going me. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after him. The Egyptians in this time would be the slave owners, the things that hold you in bondage. It would be the demonic experiences and and, and de- demonstrations of Pharaoh, of Satan himself, and it's like this, this horde is coming after them. It's trying to get to them. I don't know if you feel it yet, or if now you're starting to realize what it's been trying to come after you, but it's Says, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Let me just translate a little bit here that might be helpful for you of what's going on in this situation. The children of Israel have had a messenger come to them. His name was Moses. He's born of God, but he was raised in the enemy's camp. So he's he's uh, somebody from bondage that is coming out to preach freedom. And he's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. God wants you and I out of our Egypt. Listen to me. The reason there is no graves in Egypt, because God never intended for you to die there. God never intended for you to stay there. God said, I'm not going to take you down. I'm going to take you up. I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm going to take you over. God does not want you staying in your bondage. God does not want you staying in your trouble. God does not want you staying in your slavery. God wants to set you free. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not and shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. He said, boys, we're getting out of here. Girls, we're leaving out of here. This is not your home. We've got to pass through the Red Sea, but I'm taking you to the promised land. If you're not living in the promises and all you're living is in the problems, you need to call upon God. You need to lift up your eyes from where comes your help, because I'm here to tell you God had no plan to leave in your problem. God has an eternal plan to take you into his promises and the promises beyond. Is anybody with me this morning? They were very afraid. Let's talk about fear for just a moment. Fear is the worst enemy of your faith. Fear becomes a substitution by choice instead of the usage of your faith. Fear will cripple you. Fear will hold you. Fear will control you. Fear is a source of bondage in and of itself. Fear does not come from God. It comes from the devil. It does not come from God. It comes from the devil. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is a choice. You can take your fear and you can put your reverence in God. That's how you fear God. You can take those emotions and those feelings inside of you and set your eyes on the one who has the prize. I don't know about you, but I want the prize. I want the more that God has for my life. I want the more that God has for your life. I want the more that God has for Scottsboro, Alabama, for Northeast Alabama, for the United States of America, for the kingdom of God. I'm telling you it's advancing. I'm telling you God is looking for those whose hearts are set upon him. God is not done. God is not finished, God still has some miracles up his sleeve. God still has the ability to touch. God still has the ability to save. God still has the ability to deliver. God still has the ability to create. Listen to me. God is not dumb. You've heard it before. You need to say it again. God's not dead. Amen? But fear makes you useless. Fear takes away your freedom. If they were very afraid. But they did all they could do. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams when you're lying in bed. You don't know whether you're awake or not awake or in between those two places and you're paralyzed. Come on now, somebody heard Marcus say it. She was paralyzed from the neck down. But praise God, she can stand up and shout and sing and dance now and glorify the Lord. Amen. We're so thankful for what God has done to Stephanie. What he did to her, he can do for you. He can awaken you. He can take you out of that paralysis. He can take you out of that fear. He can take you out of that immobility and give you freedom again. Amen. Amen but they turned their cry. Have you ever been in one of those dreams? And all you could do is say something. All you could do is call out. I don't have time to tell you. When I was in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was ministering and under the unction, and I did not listen to the Holy Spirit, and I laid hands on somebody I should not have laid hands on. I believe in the power of impartation, but I took it too far, and what she had came on me at 3 o'clock in the morning. I woke up in a cold sweat. I couldn't move. I couldn't roll. I couldn't do anything. All I head was the use of my eyes and the whisper of my voice and I said in Jesus name and I called out to Jesus and it all disappeared and I was set free and I was I was set free I could move I could function I could operate I'm here to tell you they did the right thing and all you need to do is the right thing even though all you've been doing is the wrong thing and you didn't know how to do the right thing all you need to do is cry out to Jesus somebody say the name Jesus Jesus Then they said to Moses, then they said to the pastor, then they said to the man on the earth, they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? He doesn't know where he's taken them. He only knows who he's taken them to. Listen to me. The getting to the who doesn't mean you always know the no. But we've got to get to the one that we don't know what he can do until we get to him and he does what we didn't know was possible to be done. He didn't know that the Red Sea could part. He didn't know that, uh, that, that they could dry up the ground. He did not know that God could destroy all the enemy in one time. He wanted them held at bay. And I'm sure a little frustration going on inside him. I thought you said you hardened. Listen, when you harden somebody's heart, it doesn't mean that they will leave you alone. It means they'll come at you harder. Hardness comes out of hardness, friends, and making it more hard for them. But you'll never know until you get there. Are you with me? We have got to walk by faith and not by sight. And when we have God issues, we have a tendency to make them people issues. Oh, listen to me. When we have God issues, we have a tendency to make them people issues. You let me down. What are you doing? I don't agree. I don't. It could be your prayer partner. It could be your spouse. It could be your neighbor. It could be somebody, anybody, wherever they may be. We have a tendency to try to take spiritual issues and work them out in the natural. It don't work. It's not going to work. Man is not your deliverer, he's not your savior. Now Moses is a representation of a Christ type. Jesus Christ is a meteor. Thank God he sent Jesus. Amen. And Jesus has proven to us whether it's a Red Sea, whether it's a Jordan River, whether it's a wilderness, or whether it's a grave, that we can get to the other side. If you are not living in the promises and still living in the problems, this message is for you. He wants to take you forward, He wants to get you beyond where you are. Not only you, He wants to get His church. But if He can't get you, the church can't go where she wants to go. We're not going to leave somebody behind. We're going to get to the other side. Amen. He wants to hold body to get to the other side i'm telling you some of those emotional and relational issues you're looking at you need to stop griping and complaining and arguing with that person and get your eyes off of them and lift your eyes up and cry out to god and see if god answer. now what god will do is god will answer through man sometimes so don't ruin the relationship that may be your lifesaver you don't want to yell at the person who's yelling to throw the rope to you you don't, want to, you don't want to beat that relationship and separate it further to where it can't reach you. Amen? God will use people in your life to help you to get to where he wants you to have life. He said, why have you dwelt, why have you dwelt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? That's exactly. You need to be out of Egypt. Listen to me, church. I send to you with holy trembling in my life, willing to change the message and mainstream to listen to God, to hear God. He does not want to leave you in your bondage. I do not have the right to leave in your bondage and say, well, we're out of here. We don't care about you. If you're fighting with fear, if you're fighting with drugs, whatever it may be, emotional, spiritual, or physical, we are here to help set you free. To get you to the other side. God does not want to leave you in Egypt, nor do we. Is it? Not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. You know, you got to find yourself in the Bible sometimes and in the message. You have to to make aware and find out where you are. Do you find yourself saying, don't preach on that. Leave me alone. Why? Ask yourself, why do I want him to leave me alone? Why do I not want the preaching? You may be reading your Bible and say, I don't want to read that right now. You need to ask yourself, why do I not want to read it? What inside of me does not want to receive that right now? And then you'll most likely find because you want to stay in your Egypt. You want to stay in your religion. You want to stay in your relations of the world. You want to stay in your addictions. You want to stay in your comfort zones. You want to stay there and say, it could be as simple as what I shared earlier. Tithes and offerings. Why would you rebuttal against it? I mean, listen to me. Why would you not want to give God 10%? But then say you give them 100. You see what I'm saying? You've got to be real with yourself. It could be you that is holding you back. The children of Israel, the enemy's coming in on them. The children of Israel saying, we want to go back. They were literally wanting to go back to their enemy. They were wanting to go back and willing to die. Willing to be buried. Willing to be put in tombs. Willing to, I mean, you could go on down the list. You've got to ask yourself, why do I respond this way? Why do I say, leave me alone? Why do I say, don't preach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Don't preach about repentance. Why would I want to resist anything that God insists has to be something to get me somewhere to Him? Amen? Come on, church. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Friends, God didn't bring you out to let you die. He hasn't brought us this far that we couldn't go any further. God wants us to advance. God has a plan for you and I to cross over, to go through, to come over, and to even move what we can. I was thinking about it the other day. We got songs about walking on water. We got songs about splitting the water. Whether you can't do one, he'll find another way for you to do it. Amen. We got mountains that are removed and mountains to be climbed. God is saying, it doesn't matter. I will make a way where there seems to be no way. If you're struggling with... Fearful, tormenting dreams at night, God wants to set you free because it's not allowing you to rest. It's not allowing you to move. It's trying to hold you back from tomorrow. It's trying to keep you from the promise he has for you. If you're living in constant debt and making ridiculous decisions with your money, there are plans that God has in a way to set you free from that bondage to where the money serves you instead of you slaving for the money. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what you're in, God can get you out, Amen. It's just what he does. It's just who he is. You know, they rebuttaled to Moses for a moment. David made a reference to this in Psalm 106, verse 6. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, and we have done wickedly. That's a pretty clear confession. That's not a justification. That's not an explanation. That's not an excuse. That's not a proverb of sour grape, blaming it on somebody else. He said, we've done in my day what they did in that day. He said, we've done it. He said, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. He said, they did not remember the multitude of your mercies. I woke up this morning, And the cat ought to be happy that I have a good understanding of his tender mercies in the morning. Because if there was any time I would want to do away with the cat, it would be in the morning when the cat wants to get in my chair. The cat wants to get in my face. The cat wants to be in my prayer time. But if it were not for his tender mercies, when yesterday I wanted to get in his chair, I wanted to get in his face, I wanted to get in your place, whatever it may be, if it were not for his mercy, somebody tell me. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. Oh, this is a reoccurring issue throughout Scripture, and it's probably the greatest extent of mercy that man could ever comprehend and understand. Throughout Scripture, God did things that were seemingly impossible because with man it was impossible, because man was resisting the possibility, because man was doubting, because man was corrupt, because man was evil, because man was wicked, because man was living in sin, yet God still saved them, yet God still raised him. yet God still showed them mercy, yet God still... Still brought him to the other side. That's his mercy. You can find it in Ezekiel. He said, I'm not doing this for your namesake. I'm not doing this so you can look good. I'm doing this for my namesake because I said I would do it. And guess what? He said he'll do it again. We don't want to take advantage of him. We want to gain the advantage he gives us. Amen. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake that he might make his mighty power known. God is doing what he does so people can know what they've never seen. Are you with me? He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. He rebuked the Red Sea also. The Red Sea was not doing, at that moment, what he wanted it to do. Therefore, he rebuked it. You see, well, it doesn't do anything wrong. It doesn't matter. He rebuked it. It was not doing... What he wants to do. You need a good rebuke. You and I both need a good rebuke from God. When we are not doing, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, but if you're not doing anything right, you and I need a good Holy Ghost rebuke of the Lord. Amen? And in there lies wonders, in there lies miracles, in there lies the possibility for God to be glorified. Nevertheless, he saved them. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Friends, this is a pretty good story. It's a pretty good hope. What he did for them, he's doing for David. David is saying, what you did for them, you can do for me. What you did in those days, come on somebody, you can do in these days. And what you did in those days, you can do in these days. God would just save me. Listen to me friends, do not live to the Bible Belt theology that salvation is just a one time occurrence. I'm not saying that it's not good, I'm saying there's more. I'm saying there's more he can do in your life. I don't know about you but since I became a Christian, I got hung up in a few things. I got tripped up in a few things. I got caught up in a few things. But God, in His great mercy, in His extended grace, reached out that life-saving hand of salvation. And He saved me. And He pulled me out of a pit. And He pulled me out of a situation. And He pulled me out of a a decision that I made that was not a good decision. And He saved me. I said, He saved me. And I'm here to tell you, the church hasn't been as good as she ought to be, as she could have been be, or she should have been. And I'm here to tell you, He's once again reaching that hand And he's pulling her up and he's raising her up. He's gonna save the church. He's gonna call the church and cause her to rise up to who she's really supposed to be. Amen. He's gonna do it to family. He's gonna do it to husbands. He's gonna do it to wives. He's gonna do it to children. He's gonna do it to people who are confused. He's gonna do it to people who have unnatural affections. God will do it again. Amen. The waters covered their enemies. What seemed to be your problem is now somebody else's curse. What seemed to be your impossibility is now becoming a greater impossibility that you needed as a possibility. He's drowning your enemies. He's making a way for you. He's using it in front of you. He's using it behind you. God spoke to it to open. I got a good news for you. It had to be God to speak to it to close it. Amen. Amen. Then, oh, that this day, oh, that I could say this without having to use a scripture to support it. No, you need to understand. There's there's many preachers today that are using scriptures to say what they want to say. But we ought to be preaching scriptures to say what he wants to say. Listen to what he said. Then they believed his words and sang his praise. Then they believed his words and sang his praise. I live for the day that the church will believe every word that I preach, will believe every word that is prophesied, will believe every word of the Bible of the word of God. I believe that we will once again believe God, and we will once again, you want to talk about high praise, you want to talk about a place being filled with praise, when you start to believe God for who he is, and believe God for what he said, and you start to stand on the word of God, you will praise without even trying. You won't have to be exhorted. We'll have to calm you down a little bit. We'll have to say, make a little room. We need to do a baptism, and you'll erupt in worship before it and afterwards. You won't even have to hear their testimony. You'll see the light on their body coming out of darkness and into the fullness. You will see the glory of God. You will not be able to stop praising the Lord. I'm here to tell you, if heaven really comes to earth, you won't stop praising. Because in heaven, they don't stop praising. It's 24-7. It's every day. It's every day all the time. I'm telling you, the key to it is believe His Word. Believe the Word of God. If you're sitting there dissecting my message, friends, you're back in elementary school dissecting the frog. There ain't nothing big about dissecting a frog, but you'll never be a surgeon if you don't start believing the process of biology, of moving forward into what God can give you to do. We need to stop breaking down verses. Stop breaking down songs. We need to start believing and receiving and being and giving what God has given us. Amen? I might preach myself happy. Here's the danger. It's this terrible cycle of humanity. Then they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Now, when things get going really good, don't get going really good. Matter of fact, he told Joshua, he said, listen, son, you go tell the people. To get themselves sanctified and set apart. You you go tell them to consecrate themselves. Because tomorrow I'm going to start doing some wonders. He said, but listen boy, you've never been this way before. I'm going to do something you've never seen before. You weren't there in the Red Sea party. This is all going to be new to you. They believed his words, but they forgot his marvelous works. Until Joshua, something rose up inside of him. He said, "I, I think he can do it. I remember my parents. I remember Papa Nunn telling me about this. I I remember, and he went on down the list. I can remember. He started to believe not just his words, but his wonders. And sure enough, God said, don't get too close to it. He said, you've never been this way before. Is there the possibility that the wonders he's done in the past, the biblical proportions of miracles he's done in the past. Listen, we're seeing everything else come to pass. We're seeing biblical proportions in the famines and the desolates and the wars and all the different things, the earthquakes and all the things. We're seeing that. Why would we not see the extension of his mercy and of his goodness and of his kindness in biblical proportions? He said, you're getting ready to go somewhere you've never been before. I'm here to tell you something. We're getting ready to go somewhere we've never been before. I'm not talking about just coming. To somebody coming and saying, I've never heard preaching like that before. I've never heard worship like that before. I've never seen God like that before. Right. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Anybody with me this morning? Well, what did they do instead of that? Well, what was the evidence of that? But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God. Where do you stand today? I was in my daily Bible reading a few days ago and came upon the chapter where Jesus was asked in the wilderness. And they said, are you him? Are you Jesus of Nazareth? This might throw off your theology a little bit. And he said, I am he. And they all fell out. You might think we're weird for getting on our knees when we sing a song. (laughs) Who would you have been in the garden? When all he said was, I am he. Identifying with who they said he was, but who he really was, when they spoke the truth, he could not deny it. He said, I am he. And they're all slain in the spirit. You think that's strange. They got up, Peter. Reached in, he was carrying, he reached in, got a sword out, and sliced the ear off. Malchus, Jesus picked it up, slapped it on, said, Pete, put that sword away right now. Jesus didn't say, Don't carry. That's how you use it. That's when you use it. Watch out, you live by it. But here's the deal. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. He didn't say, I am. He said, now you can see I am. He didn't just say, I am, and you can see I am. You just saw the I am. No, I'm not just him. I'm him. I'm that and all of that, and I'm that and all of that. That's the same Jesus you and I believe in. That is the same Jesus you and I believe. That's the same Jesus that you call upon today. That's him. That's him. He still is. And if he still is, he still does. And if he still does, then he still can. I don't know what you have need of, but I do know this. All you need to do is call on Jesus. Come on, somebody. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Remember, they approached him in fear. Yeah. We have David's understanding, looking back, of what they really did and how they recycled back out of it. And that's just a caution to let you know that once you make a commitment, it doesn't mean everything's all right. He says, don't be afraid. If you tell somebody not to do something, it means they have the choice, it means they have the ability to not do that. Amen. The amen's got really quiet on that one because we want to be off the hook. We want to be able to say but 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 somebody's got to get off there And Moses said to people do not be afraid He says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for which He will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians, who you see today, all those hordes, all those enemies, all that threatening your life, all that slavery, he said, who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Yes. No, no, you need to understand something. Listen, you, you say, now, now, now back that up a little bit. Roll that back because I want to hear that. Did you just say that What it, it's, it's tagged on me? what is binding me, what is holding me in bondage, what, is, what has me uh, kept from what God, you're telling me all that bondage stuff. You're telling me that I could get to a place that I'll see them no more ever again. Now, I know some people could get up and testify and say, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, because I've been there, and one day I got away from it. And I went for a couple weeks. I went for a couple months. And I, Yeah, right. Well, David just explained that. Because you started lusting. Because you started looking at it. Because you took your eyes off of Jesus. And you started looking into the world because you started doubting the word of God. That's right. It came, he's saying it's a choice. If you want to get there and not see that anymore, all he said was, stand still. Well, what does that look like, preacher? On a few minutes you'll know. You, minister, no. you can come up here and stand in the altar. Well, I don't need to go to the altar again. But you need to find somewhere to stand still. You need to find somewhere to stand in alignment with the God, God, word of God. He is saying, I'm offering to do something for you that you haven't been able to do for yourself and that the Egyptians will not do for you. The world is not going to let you go. You're going to have to listen to me. You're going to have to let the world go. What you will not let go of will not ever let go of you. You have somewhere have got to release who you've been, where you've been, and accept who He is and where He's at for you to be set free. But if you don't let go of it, It will not let go of you. The Lord will fight for you. Mm. Well, I just thought you said that he would deliver me. No, he'll fight for you. That's why you got to stand still. You can't go, well, just one more drink. Lord, help me. And just one more praise. Oh, hallelujah. You'll get stuck in that place. Because you keep running back and forth. Halting between two opinions. Is my flesh my God, or is he my God? Think about it. He said, you stand still. I'll fight for you. I'm here to tell you it's going to be a fight. It's not going to be, uh, if you've got, you got any Trekkies in here, Trekkies or whatever they call them, those Star Trek, boom, beam me up. Now it's going to be a fight going on there. Friends, I don't, I don't know of anybody so willing, so kind, and so generous, but one who would step in and take the fight for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. We want to hold on to it. We would because we, we, we enjoy sitting in the corner. You'll get him next round. That was good. Oh, we got a boo boo right there. We enjoy being patted, petted. But if we would stay in the ring instead of taking breaks, of somebody to touch us and let him become the king in the ring, he said, I will fight for you. He never wanted to fight with you. He wants to fight for you. But when you start to resist what he's doing for you, you're joining the enemy's team and you're fighting against God. You'll never be able to fight for God until you allow God to fight for you to get you on the side he wants to be on. The side called victory. He will always lead you into what? Victory. All right, let's go somewhere. And Moses, in verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel, go forward. You know, this is interesting. There's a time that Joshua came to Moses, uh, to the Lord also, and he's like, stop your pouting, get up. He said, just get up. I don't want to hear it. Pastor Greg, I don't want you crying to me about the church. I don't want you whining about it. He said, you know, there's a lot of spilled milk out there, but if you grow them up, they won't be on milk, they'll get on meat. A lot easier easier to spill milk than it is meat. But the reality is, he says, get up. Move forward. I'm here to say to you, it's time to go forward. The apostle Paul would say it this way, press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling which is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus would say this, go a little further, fall on your face and pray. It is time to go forward forward it's not time to get comfortable it's not time to get complacent it is time to move forward to advance the kingdom of God amen to be passionately pursuing God are you with me okay moving forward I'm here to tell you the well is moving forward with all of her dreams and all of her visions some people are looking at me like we're crazy taking on a plaza and listen When we get a call in the community, we find out in the community, I've told you, I told you, when we're moving forward into the offices, how many of y'all remember what I told you? What are we going to do? A school and a daycare. That's what we're going to do. Then I get a text. I'm out of town uh, visiting with my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and and I get a text and, and it says, hey, this is what's happening in Scottsboro. There's a there's a daycare, one of the four daycares, the largest one here, is shutting down its doors. They're closing up in May, and people are fretting, people are worried, people are troubled. That's why we're here. That's who God is. God cares for the want, the cry. God cares for the concern. And I said, well, we'll step in. And they heard. I heard the wells doing this. Is the well doing this? Yes, that's what we're doing. We're going forward with it. We will have a daycare open. Those people will not be without a place. We are here to help transform a community. We are here here to help tear care of a community. We are here to plant a community a community. Because we went forward, doors are opening up. We're not going to stop going forward. The kingdom of God has been advancing by force and the forceful lay hold of it. We are going forward. You can't sit back on your duff and think that you've done enough. It's time to get up and it's time to live up. It's time to move forward to advance and take the kingdom. Amen. And take the land back for God. Come on somebody. But lift up your rod. I'm not even going to go to it. I'll stay there too long. But lift up your rod. Stretch. All you got is a stick in your hand. All you got is a stick in your hand. But now, somebody stand up for a moment. Underneath your feet is 144,000 square feet, 26 and a half acres, two more acres over there, young sons and daughters worshiping and celebrating God, a soon coming school, a soon coming daycare. I'm here to tell you, he can do a lot with the sticks, but he's going to have to have the hand of man to lift it up and to praise him. Because I'm telling you, somebody is going forward. We're going to take the land as he gives it to us. Amen? You can see that in a second. Turn with me real quick. I've got to give this to you real quick. John chapter 21. There's so much more in that. We can't go to it right now. He said we're moving forward. We've got to flee from that stuff. In John chapter 21. I've got to get to this. You with me? Can you give me just a few more minutes? All right, so we're going to pick up in John chapter 21. After these things... Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is one of those eight appearings. And in this way, he showed himself. And in this way, he showed himself. I don't know how he's going to show himself in our next season. I don't know how he's going to show him, but I'm just here to tell you, he's faithful at showing himself. He's faithful at bringing, revealing matters of himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, "I'm going fishing. <laughs> Excuse me, while I get my rod. <laughs> that one got away. Come on, let me ask you a question: How many of y'all have ever fished before? Uh huh. How many of y'all ever have them get away before?" How I many of all have had more get away from me than more that got in your boat? Yeah, I thought so. He said, I'm going fishing. In other words, translated, I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going back to who I used to be. Remember where he was? He was on a boat when Jesus said simply, follow me. Follow me. That's all he said. Well, you're starting to make this gospel thing pretty simple. I am. Yeah, stand still. Don't come up, I get this all the time, people come in the office and they're trying to get off drugs and alcohol and they tell me how they're going to do it. I'm like, really? How's that working for you? Come on. Yeah. Have you ever had said to say that somebody, how's that working for you? Yeah. Because if it worked that way, yeah, unless the Lord delivers you, you'll never be free. Something else will become your drug of choice. Is there the possibility that because of the impatience or instability or the season that we're in, things aren't going as well as they were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, that we're starting to go back to who we used to be? We have a tendency. Humanity does. Remember the children of Israel, they wanted to go back to Israel, I mean to Egypt. They wanted to go back. He said, I'm going fishing, boys. They said to him... I mean, I don't even know why anybody would even want to fish again if they could walk on water. And they said to him, we're going with you also. Be careful what you speak up and say and do. You might influence somebody else to do the same thing. No, no, listen to me. Mom's and dad. You quit going to church. Your children quit going to church. Mom and dad, you start drinking casually, your your, your children have a very good possibility of drinking beyond casual. Influence is speaking here. He said, I'm going fishing. Every one of them said, I'm going too. Ten people. He got 100% return in his decision. Hundredfold. And they went out and immediately got into the boat and that night, they caught nothing. Isn't it amazing how the things in the natural will do immediately and things in the kingdom we have to wait for confirmations? Yeah. Don't tell me you can't do it. Mama. Don't tell me Jonah couldn't do it. He just wouldn't do it. Immediately, they got in the boat. Influence. Result. And they caught nothing. That night, they caught nothing. Empty, futile, fruitless. When the morning had come, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was the Lord. Now now listen, for him standing on the shore, not sitting, not squatting, he's not trying to hide himself. I got news for you. Jesus is not trying to hide himself from you. Jesus is presenting himself. Jesus is meeting you where you should be, not necessarily always where you are. That's why there's room for repentance and return. There may be a very good possibility somebody needs to return to the Lord this morning. Because they've gone back from where they once were. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? Notice, Notice the reference here. Children. He didn't say, Brother. Sister. Friends of mine. Followers. Seekers of the one true. Christians call them children, children, only a father calls another a child. Mm -hmm. Who's really speaking here? I am he. But when they asked Peter, are you one of his disciples? He said, I am not. I am he. They asked Peter, I am not. They asked Peter again, aren't you surely one? I am not. Third time, it's almost as if John couldn't bring himself to write it because he's probably thinking Peter might read this book one day. He said, like he said the other time, don't tell me you can't say it. It's all a choice. Who are you? Where are you? Who am I? Where am I? Why would I want to resist? Why would I want church to be over? Why is it? What outside of here is is so much more worthy of our time than what's happening in here? We have to ask ourselves those kind of questions. I'm not trying to, to bind you for more time. I have places to preach. I have places to go. You need to get that, that foolishness kind of speaking out of your mind. Why would you not want to be in church talking about a saving, miracle working Christ and God and a powerful Holy Spirit who can heal and deliver and set captives Why? When you're getting ready to see the greatest fight on earth, I mean, people pay zillions of dollars accumulatively to watch a pay-per-view fight of two men beating each other. It's gotten so raunchy, they watch women beat each other up. They watch people kick people near death, choke people. The greatest fight on earth is getting ready to happen right here if you'll stand still and see the salvage of God because God will fight for you. You ought to be happy you have a long-winded preacher. Because a long-winded preacher... Is a good opportunity for a long-suffering God to keep knocking on the door at somebody's heart. Write that one down, because I'm going to use that again. I'm almost there. Listen. We're going with you. Morning to come. He's standing. He's not sitting. He wants to be seen. But when the morning had now come. But when the morning had now come. See, we don't even notice that part of the verse because we go to the story, we pretty much know the story's going to get down to... No, no, no. It's a new beginning. It's a new season. It's a new day. This is one of the appearances, of the eight appearances that he comes. When morning comes, new mercies. A new every morning. I don't care how far away you walk, if you went all the way back to where you were and who you were before you ever met him, his mercies can meet you there. See, the new morning... And in verse 5, then Jesus said to children, have you any food? They said, no. You know, I don't know, but I, I think maybe a little bit too highly of myself sometimes. I would say, but do you? <laughs> if I just caught nothing and my breakfast was dependent upon it, if someone said, do you have any food? I said, no, but do you? They missed a good opportunity. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. My dream would be if we could cast the miracles of God, cast the love of God, cast the truth of God, cast faith in God, and there'd be so many people coming in, we couldn't even handle them all. You know, it'd be like opening up a daycare with 50 people already waiting for somewhere to go, and you have 100 more people waiting, but you're able to make a place for 150 instead of just 50. And listen to me. There's probably property, somebody in here, your family owns property, that's sitting there desolate, and you're saying, this is my retirement, and this is what I'm sitting on. Maybe God... God could use it to reach people. Maybe God could use it to teach children. Maybe God could use it to heal people. Maybe God could use it to house people. Listen to me. You use stuff for the glory of God, you'll see the glory of God in your life, which will be greater than anything that you've ever had in your life and the only thing you really need in your life. Amen? Don't be afraid to be generous. Many of you, listen, we're a very generous church. I'm not taking away from that. But we're going to have to become more generous. God upholds us by his generous spirit. They cast a net on the right side, and you'll find some. So they cast a net, they were not able to bring it. So I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this together. A harvest, a bumper crop. Best year yet. Yes. 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 They're trying to, they can't even get it in the boat. It's so heavy. And therefore, the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's the Lord. That's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came a little further in a little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there fish laid on it, and bread. Friends, it is true. Jesus doesn't need us as much as we need him. You say, well, if Jesus doesn't need me, what's the purpose? Uh, He may not need you, but he wants you. He created you for his glory. He wants nothing but for the Father to be glorified. So I want you to know, in essence, he wants you, therefore you're needed. He created you for a reason, each and every one of us to help be a part of this incredible harvest. Now listen to this. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. He already has some, but he wants what you have. Everything should be of him, through him, and back unto him, amen? He said, just bring me some of it. I'll let you have the rest. He was always generous that way. Just give me 10%, you can have 90. That sounds fair. fair. Really? And whose books? That really doesn't sound fair in the business world, does it? This is the kingdom. Therefore, his disciples recognized who it was and saw the coal and the fire and said, bring me some of the fish which you have just caught. want the fresh stuff. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land. Now, notice one of our key sermons in the last few years was All In. Don't forget, when he realized who it was, he just dove in headfirst. And they're only a little ways out, so it's probably pretty shallow. So he probably shows up with a little skinned nose, you know, a little sand burn on his chest. Soaking, sopping wet. He wasn't waiting. He's was getting back to where he needed Remember, Remember, he's the first to go? He's the first in. All in, friends. This is where I want to get to. Joel, if you don't mind, if you could join me. Simon Peter went up, and Jesus said to them, Simon Peter went up, and he dragged the net full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come eat breakfast. Okay. How many fish? 153. I told you the number 8 has numerical, spiritual value to it. Told you the Hebrew and the Greek have understanding of number systems with their language, the number nine. I don't know, did you guys make a graph of the, uh, of the graph that I have there? Can you pull that up? Can you do that real quick? You can't? Maybe not. All right, watch this. 153 in the Hebrew language, all the letters line up in that language to spell the letters I Am God. Just like you know A is the first one and Z is the last one, they knew the number system. When they saw 153, there are some people who said there's a very good possibility, I don't have historical fact this, that there is 153 nations known at that time. I could save all the nations. He was revealing to them who He is. And when you know who He is, you'll know who He can be. He is manifesting, revealing, making known. I wish I could show you the graph where all the letters line up. But it spells out, I am Elohim. Or I am He. I am